We just read from Mark chapter 5. We're continuing our uh, sermon series. It's a little disrupted, and uh, next week Ed will be speaking, and, uh, and then the week after, so in two weeks, we'll kind of get in our groove as we move through the Gospel of Mark, asking and hopefully answering this question, who is this man in relation to Jesus? But Mark chapter 5 has this very dramatic story. And and as um, Curtis was reading it, uh, I wonder if he got your attention, if the text got your attention. There are a lot of details in that that story. Um, And and really today I want you, uh, I'm covering a little bit more than just that story. That story is, is part of a series, the the chapter heading, I believe, should really be a little bit earlier in chapter 4. Uh, you'll see in chapter 4, if you have your Bibles there, I don't have slides today, so if you want to follow along, have your, your Bible available. In, in chapter 4, we have this um, section of Jesus' teaching and parables, and then he gets in a boat. And uh, in, in the, the verses that come after is the calming of the storm as Jesus crosses the sea. And then he, he gets the, the other side and we have the story that was just read for us. And then he gets in the boat and he goes back across the sea. No storm this time. Um, and when he gets to the other side or, or, or the next story that we're told is of the synagogue leader coming, Jairus, coming to Jesus and saying, my daughter is, is dying, I need you to heal her. And Jesus says, sure, let me go to your house. And, and Jesus heads off and Along the way, a, a woman who's, who's been bleeding for years and, and touches him and he says, who touched me? And uh, I felt something. I felt my power go out of me. And, and, and just that touch, without Jesus even consciously healing her, healed her. And, and then Jesus, as he's talking with this woman, um, gets word that the little girl he's going to heal has actually died. And he continues on anyway to the house. And he gets to the house, he goes up, and he, he raises this girl, brings her back to life. And so we have four stories. And, and I don't mean story in a sense of a, a, a fairy tale. We have these four stories of Jesus' life. The boat, the demon-possessed man, the woman being healed by a touch, and the girl brought back to life. And so we're not reading all of that, but that is the context that I want us to keep in mind this morning. In our particular text of the demon-possessed man, there's a lot of details, but there's a lot of things that we don't know. You see, Jesus mostly worked on the western shore of Galilee. Nazareth, Capernaum, they're to the west and, and to the north of the Sea of Galilee. At the end of chapter 4, as I mentioned, he sails over to the eastern shore. And on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, 
He's no longer in Israel. He's entered a new Roman province. He has entered Gentile territory. And we don't know why Jesus went there. We're not told. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I want to go over there because. He just says, let's go over there. And they said, okay. Um, Typically, Jesus spent his time with the Jews. That was his mission, was to the people of Israel. We don't know when Jesus landed. We don't know where exactly he landed. There are different manuscripts that have different names of towns. In fact, Matthew has a different name than Mark does. And, and they're very similar, and they can be confused, and, uh, and so it's hard to, to tell. Um, we don't know much about demon possession. I'm saying we as in America 2020, we don't connect with this phenomena of demon possession. Uh, We may or may not be able to recognize it if somebody walked in. Uh, We may attribute it to something else. We may just say we don't know what it is. But in Jesus' day, people seem to have been very clear what the symptoms of demon possession were. And they would point it out, and they would identify it, and they would say, this is demon possession. And clearly that was the case of this man. But, but that's something that I think we would have to say that they have a better understanding of than we do. Most of what we know about demon possession comes from the imaginations of Hollywood scriptwriters. So, we don't know why Jesus put the evil spirits into the pigs. Why did he do it? Why didn't he just send them back to wherever they came from? That's not explained. There's no reason given in the story. They ask, and he says, okay. But, uh, but, but here's what we do know. By the end of the story, we, have, we know more about Jesus. Okay? So, so we can look at this story and go, it's strange, it's unusual, we don't relate to it. There's a lot of things here that we don't know. But at the end of the story, we know more about Jesus than we did at the beginning. I mentioned this, this story, but uh, the, this big picture. It's Jesus calms the storm. Jesus calms the demon-possessed man. Jesus, and, and they're kind of a pair, but and then Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. And they're kind of a pair. And in these four stories, we see the power of Jesus demonstrating. His power over nature, his power over demons, his power over sickness, and then his power over death. That's a lot of power. Jesus' journey across the lake also fits into a different series. So we've got a some different ideas going on here. We've got this series of, of, of four stories, but, 
within the Gospel of Mark, there's been something going on all the way through. In Mark chapter 1, we see John the baptizer proclaiming or preaching the arrival of Jesus. And we get that, that word, preaching or proclaiming. Um, if we're reading Greek, it's gonna, that word is going to keep showing up. John the baptizer proclaims or preaches the arrival of Jesus. Jesus himself, in chapter 1, verse 14, he begins preaching, proclaiming the good news, the coming of the kingdom, the arrival not just of him, but of the kingdom of God. In chapter 3, in verse 14, Jesus sends out the 12 for the first time. He sends them out to preach or to proclaim among the Jews, um, the Jews of Galilee. And now this madman begins at the end of the story, begins to tell, to prophesy, to proclaim, to preach how much Jesus had done for him. And so this message of of good news, this message of arrival, of a change, of the Messiah, maybe not using the word Messiah uh, because that identity still isn't clear, but, but of God doing something is beginning to, to be proclaimed. And it starts in the wilderness of John there on the banks of the Jordan River. And it, and it moves as, as Jesus goes back to Galilee, as he sends out the twelve and now, as he reaches over into even into the land of the Gentiles, to say God is doing something new. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. As we look at the, the details of this story, I want to draw out four, four points. I have four headings in my outline here. The first is that this miracle of getting rid of the demons out of this man. It demonstrates the, the power of Jesus. Um, Mark is, is very detailed. A lot of Bible stories don't have a lot of details. Like some are really short. And uh, Jesus' crucifixion, for instance, doesn't tell us very much about really what happened. How did Jesus feel? You know, if, if we were writing about the story, Jesus would have him staggering up the hill, right? We'd have him groaning as the nails drew. Like we would, we would go for a lot of emotional detail there. But it's very matter of fact. In this particular story, Mark gives us a lot of detail. He says that um, this is a strong man. He doesn't just say he's a crazy man, doesn't just say he's a demon-possessed man. He, he gives details of, of what he looks like. And we're told he's very strong. How strong, you ask? Mark says, I can tell you. This guy can break chains when he's bound. Now, they may not be exactly the same as the chains we use to tow a, a vehicle, you know, but they still had chains back in ancient times that you or I, I'm guessing, I'll speak for me, couldn't break. But this is a strong man. He could break them, and it's implied that the demons are giving him a supernatural, superhuman strength. It goes on in verse 4, says, no one was strong enough to subdue him. So Jesus has crossed the lake and he has encountered a storm that was so strong that the seasoned sailors 
were scarce. And now Jesus lands and he comes on land and he encounters a man who is possessed by demons and the man is so strong that no one else is able to constrain him. Like like he's running into, this is like if you play computer games, this is like getting that guy, the big fella at the end of every level. You're getting him all the way along. And, and, and he's, no one else could control him. He was controlled by the demons. But Jesus' power in this situation becomes so obvious as he commands them. He, he, he commands the demons. The demons go on the offensive. They run at him. They, they try to tell Jesus what to do. And Jesus is having none of that. He says, no, your, your time is done. You need to leave. And he commands them and instructs them. And at the end, they're saying, will you, can we please go into those pigs? Jesus' strength is such that it makes people fearful. Did you see that in the story? That, that when, when the people from the town come out and they see this, this wild man and he's dressed and he's sane and he's having conversations, they're, they're not... Amazed, they're not cheering, they're not whooping it up, they're, they're fearful. Because he'd been that way for so long, but that was the expected norm. And now that the norm has been interrupted, they're afraid at what could possibly do that. And so the Gospel of Mark has this clear purpose of answering the question, who is this man, Jesus? And in this series of stories, Mark makes it clear. I mean, he doesn't make it clear by saying Jesus is God in the flesh. But he makes it clear that that Jesus controls weather, demons, sickness, and death. He's he's not just a teacher. He's not just a wise man. He's not just an admirable character or an inspirational leader. Jesus is something the world has never seen before. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is someone worth paying attention to. Jesus is someone worth following. So that's the first thing we see from this story, the power that God has given Jesus. The, my second point is that this event announces or, or continues the announcement of the arrival of God's kingdom. When Jesus crosses the lake, he lands in a different kingdom. Still Roman, but but it's Gentile. It's an unclean Gentile territory. He's in or near an unclean graveyard. That's where this demon-possessed man hung out. In the graveyard, among among the dead. And Jesus is is talking to an unclean I mean, you don't get more unclean than demon-possessed, do you? And, And he's talking to this unclean man. And he has a herd of unclean pigs nearby. Like, there was no good reason for a Jew, a devout Jew, to find themselves in this environment. And yet, rather than be contaminated by that environment, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven, when it comes, doesn't get contaminated. The kingdom of heaven purifies what it touches. And so Jesus purifies the man who was so unclean. And I suspect that sometimes our definition of God's kingdom contains limits that Jesus wouldn't recognize. There's no indication in this set of four stories that Jesus preaches what we would usually refer to as the gospel. Jesus doesn't have any Bible studies along in, in these four stories. Jesus doesn't call anyone to follow him. Jesus doesn't address sin or spiritual conditions. But Jesus transforms lives. He is proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is here. He is getting people to pay attention to what's going on, to to be looking for God. But, But at this point, he's simply transforming lives. He gives a man back control over his own life, a man who had lost control. He heals a woman in a life-altering way. He raises a young girl from the dead. He frees people. And I think free is a good word here for for this description. He frees people from from demons. We're actually told in the text that, that the woman with the bleeding is freed from suffering. And then Jairus and his family are freed from grief. And I've sometimes heard criticism of churches that build hospitals, for instance. Uh, we lived for a few years in Memphis, and, and the major hospital networks there, there's Baptist and there's Methodist. And uh, so it's like hard to, to get away. Then we moved to Louisiana, and, and the major hospital uh, there was uh, St. Francis. So it was like just this different churches with, with their hospitals. And, and, and sometimes you'd hear comments that, well, churches shouldn't be in the hospital business. Um, Or maybe that there's some churches that have gained a reputation in the community for helping people or or have some big agency or organization or they're doing something, um, but it it doesn't include daily Bible studies or it doesn't include weekly preaching in in that sense. And the criticism runs that they're they're not those organizations or those churches doing that are are not spiritual enough. Uh, They're not telling people about their sin problem. If we we look at Jesus in these four stories, we see that the kingdom of God changes the world wherever it goes. And it exists within the world. It makes life better for people. And it points people with sin problems to Jesus. And so there are times where Jesus says, I'm going to focus simply on making people's lives better. I'm going to heal them, I'm going to feed them, I'm going to care for them, I'm going to cast out demons, and they're going to experience the kingdom of heaven and the difference God can make in their lives and in their communities. And then there are other times that Jesus says, I'm coming to this place and I'm talking to these people and we're going to have a Bible study. Get out your Old Testament scrolls, everyone, and let's look at this. And then let's go through it and let me explain to you what the kingdom of heaven is really like. Let me explain to you how God has been working for thousands of years. And and he teaches that sometimes 
he brings those together. And, and I think we need to be cautious that we don't um, say, oh, well, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like, and that just looks like a benevolent organization. Sometimes the church and sometimes God's people will look one way, the other, or both. Because Jesus, if you took a snapshot, would look one way, the other, or both. And so the kingdom of God has clearly arrived and the demons are aware of it and they're driven out and lives are transformed. The third point I have here is that the demoniac, the demon-possessed man, is Jesus. Okay, did that get your attention? At the climax, well, we saw a couple of weeks ago, right, uh, as we talked about the baptism of Jesus, that Jesus identifies, was baptized as an act of identifying with humanity. Of saying, I am not above humanity. I need God's presence in my life. I need to come to a point in my life as a human that, that I am going to commit my life to living out God's purpose. And, and I need to do that, says Jesus, as much as any other human. And so Jesus identifies with you and with I in that way. But here in this story, I think Mark, as he tells it, takes that identification a step further, perhaps in some subtle ways. If you think, and, and I'm assuming, I, I'm not going to go into it in detail, if you know the story of Jesus' death, and so at the climax of Mark's story, Jesus himself will end up naked. Jesus himself will end up isolated outside of town, among the tombs. It's what Golgotha, the place where he was crucified, is what it means, the place of the skull. And so there, outside town, among the tombs, shouting incomprehensible things, you know, the, the lama, lama, Allah, sabachthani, words in Aramaic that other people couldn't understand, similar to what this not, not exactly the same, but, but in a metaphorical sort of way, like this demon-possessed man. Shouting out things that people there don't understand as he is torn apart on the cross and under the Roman lash. So you have a demoniac living in the tombs, cutting himself, wailing and crying outside of town and isolated. And then at the end of Mark, you have Jesus outside of town, amongst the tombs, isolated. And there's a comparison there that says what Jesus sees in this man is in some sense his future, his destination. And, and what Jesus does to this man as he drives out the demons is only a temporary fix. I don't believe that man ever became demon-possessed again, but do you think the demons died when the pigs went into the lake? Like, they're, they're still doing their demon thing. Right? The pigs died, but the demons moved on. 
And so it was a temporary fix. And what Jesus does when Jesus is the one in that situation, Jesus is dying, Jesus is cut, Jesus is bleeding, Jesus is not suffering at the hands, well, he is kind of at the hands of the demons, but, but he's giving himself up, and it is there in that moment that he defeats the demons ultimately. Amen. That he defeats the forces of darkness ultimately. And so we get a glimpse here over in the land of the Gentiles of what is possible, and we see at the climax of the gospel what takes place. And so why would Jesus do that? You see, the story is all about power, right? Power over the storm, power over the demons, power over illness, power over death even. But, but the lesson, as Jesus glimpses himself, glimpses himself in the eyes of this man, is not power. Because what took him to the cross, what put him in the shoes of that man, was, was not his power, but ultimately his love. His commitment to service and to sacrifice. And so here it's the power of Jesus that we see demonstrated. But it's going to lead us to a place where Jesus says, I'm not here to win the victory by power. I have it. And that's good for us to know. And he will defeat the demons, but it won't be by power. It will be through service and sacrifice. So Jesus sees himself, perhaps, in that man. And then my fourth heading that I have is a question. And the question is, is a simple one, but don't answer it too quickly. The question is, who am I? in this series of stories. Who am I in this series of stories? There are a lot of choices because there are a lot of people. And and so often, don't we want to be the hero? Oh, I'm Jesus. (laughs) I'm like Jesus. Everywhere I go, people feel better. Okay, don't don't argue too quickly. Who am I? Am I the disciples in the boat just being buffeted by the environment? Feeling out of control by what's going on around me? Unable to do anything? Unable to change anything? Crying out to Jesus and saying, Jesus, can't you do something? And too often we want to get to the end of the story and say, oh, Jesus calms the storm, but how long were they in the boat? (laughs) How long did they put off asking Jesus for that assistance? How long did Jesus say, I'm just going to take a nap. You guys, you got some learning to do. You got some faith to build. You, you got to process this. You got to get through. You got to get so far and, and then I'll come to your assistance. Maybe that's you. Perhaps you, you connect with the demoniac, the, the demon-possessed man, and you go, there are demons in my life. And I don't know what that term means to you. Perhaps it's memories. Perhaps it's regrets. There are things, perhaps one way of thinking about this is just to say there are things that are eating me up inside. 
that Satan is using to pull me down. And, and, and they're not the environment. They're not the forces out there. They're not things beyond their control. They're things that I have, have accepted. They're things that are part of me. Or maybe you're the, 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 that same man at the end of the story that says, that's who I used to be. Praise God, that's who I used to be. Because Jesus came into my life. Or maybe you look at the story and, and, and you say, if you continue through and you say, I'm, I'm that woman. I'm that woman. I'm struggling with illness. I'm struggling with health. I don't understand why it's going on so long. Perhaps you're, you're someone who's grieving, someone who's, who's lost a loved one, somebody who's looking forward to the resurrection, somebody who, who isn't experiencing it yet, somebody that, that feels that you may even be the girl that's close to dying. And, 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 and who are we in that story? And Jesus is there for each of us. Now, the demon-possessed man, I don't think he was demon-possessed again. But the sailors had another storm. The woman caught a cold the next week. You don't read that in Mark, but she did. It was a bad one, almost maybe the flu even. They couldn't take her temperature, but she felt hot to the touch. The girl that was raised from the dead, she died. You see, all of those sufferings, all of those things going wrong, they still happen. Because we look forward to really the end of the story that goes beyond the end of Mark, right? And so Jesus has a word for us. And that word is, is that we may not always receive that immediate relief that we see in this passage. But that Jesus is there. Jesus understands. We can cry out to Jesus. We don't promise the outcome. But, but God loves us. Because ultimately, Jesus identifies with us. If he can identify with a demon-possessed man in a graveyard, living in a graveyard, then he can identify with you and with I, with our struggles, and say, I've been there. and I, I love you, and I, I want to serve you, and I want to I sacrifice myself for you. And then like the man afterwards, we have a responsibility to go and tell our neighbors, what God has done. Because we do come through things. We do have stories of God's goodness, of how God has transformed our lives. And other people need to hear that. This individual did such a good job of telling his story. And it's a very dramatic one. Yeah. I mean, I'd go on Oprah and tell my story if it was like this, right? Um, that when Jesus went back to that region later on, this time he kind of crept in. He's out there in the countryside. Nobody knows he's there until this happens. But when he goes back there in Mark chapter 7, the people are looking for him. They bring out their sick and they want to be healed and they want to experience the kingdom of heaven just as this man did. Because he'd been busy. They doesn't mention him in Mark 7. Presumably he'd been busy telling others what Christ had done for him. Who are you in the story? How do you need Jesus this week? 
There's a lot of choices. I'm not going to tell you the answers. I'm not going to ask you to take a specific action. But I ask you, encourage you to think and ask that question of yourself. How do I need Jesus this week? Which of those people am I most like? And talk to Jesus about it. If we can encourage you, if we can support you, if we can uh, lift you up and, and pray with you, uh, we would love to do that this morning. If we're going to sing a song, you can come and let me know and we'll, we'll take care of it right now. You can talk to somebody else afterwards. If you've never followed Jesus, if you've never made that commitment, you can do that today and say, I want to change my life. Because when, when who is this man? If I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, if I believe that Jesus has all that power, if I believe that Jesus humbled himself and that he died on a cross because he loved me and sacrificed himself for me, then I want to follow him. Because that's life-changing. And if you want to make that change today, again, you can come during the song, you can talk to me afterwards or someone else. I, I believe Jesus is worth following. Let's stand and sing together.